hope that those who are traveling have taken time to be with us this morning. Your encouragement to us, and we hope that we'll all be an encouragement to each other as we strive to know more about God and to worship Him and to do His will in our lives. Have you ever used an expression or a word and never really stopped to think about what that meaning is, what that word is? Maybe you're like me and you used a phrase or an expression or a word for a long time and never really stopped to think about the meaning of that. It's just a phrase that people use and you're just sort of taking it for granted. In our company, I don't know if it's like this in where you work, but in our company, people use a lot of acronyms. And those acronyms just get repeated over and over again, and people never really stop to ask, what does that acronym mean? And every now and then, we'll be in a meeting, and somebody will speak up and say, what exactly does that acronym mean? And then after that brave person admits that they don't know, there'll be others in the, uh, in the meeting who'll say, yeah, I don't know that either, but we've been using it for years. I think it may be that way in the case of words that are used to describe salvation in the Bible. In the passage that Joseph just read for us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, there are a few words that are used to talk about our salvation. Words that we read and we know the word, but I'm afraid we don't really know what the word means. And it struck me in our Wednesday night class in Hebrews, as we're reading through Hebrews, a lot of these salvation-related words are used, but we don't really define them, and we don't stop to ask what they mean, because we've read them for so long, we just sort of take them for granted. And this morning, I want to stop and look at what these words mean that God uses to describe our salvation, because when we understand the meaning of the word, I think it helps us to understand our salvation and the significance of our salvation even more. And so let's look at these words this morning. And we're not going to talk about every word or, or term or symbol that's used to represent our salvation in the Bible. We're going to talk about a few of them this morning, and hopefully they'll be helpful to us. The first word that we want to look at this morning that is used to describe our salvation is reconciliation. Reconciliation. We know that word, we can read that word, we can pronounce it, but what does the word mean? Reconciliation means to restore friendship or harmony. To restore friendship or harmony. And unlike some of the words that we're going to look at this morning that you would never ever use in everyday conversation, this is one that you might use in everyday conversation. Maybe if two member, neighbors were at odds with each other, maybe... A couple neighbors were having a little feud or a spat. And something changed, and those two neighbors began to work out their differences. We might say that they reconciled their relationship. Maybe two friends that had an argument, and they were no longer considering each other close friends. Maybe a third friend might organize a meeting for those two friends to get together to work on reconciling their relationship. Or bringing back harmony, restoring friendship. That's what the word reconciliation means. When a relationship is destroyed, we need reconciliation. And this is a situation that we were in with God. We were once in harmony with God. But our sins separated us from God. Our sins destroyed that harmony and that relationship, it separated us from God, Isaiah 59, verse 2 would say. 
And so we needed reconciliation. And God offered his son so that that relationship could be restored, so that that harmony could be restored. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing? We were the reason that the relationship was strained, not God. We had destroyed the harmony that we enjoyed with God. We had sinned. And yet Christ, God offered his son to restore that relationship so that that relationship could be fixed. So we could be in harmony again. Isn't that amazing? We had done the messing up. We had destroyed the relationship. And yet God offered his son to fix the relationship. So we could be reconciled again. Amazing. God's love that prompted that is amazing. But I tell you, when we have relationships that are strained, we ought to be willing to go the extra mile, shouldn't we? And isn't that what Jesus taught us? We ought to be willing to go the extra mile to restore that harmony. God did it for us. And for in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Colossians 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on heaven or things, or things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Notice we were enemies, and why? Why were we enemies? It says we were enemies in our mind by wicked works. Our sins had caused us to be enemies with God, and yet now he's made it possible for us to be reconciled. For that harmony to be restored, what a wonderful thing. Reconciliation. And understanding this word helps us to understand what God did for us in offering salvation through his son. Of a side note, without going too far astray, if we are restoring a relationship, that means the relationship existed previously. This means we weren't born sinners we weren't born totally depraved. We were in a relationship with God. Our sins separated us, and now God has offered us reconciliation. Reconciliation. Another word that is used to describe our salvation is a word that I guarantee we never use in everyday conversation, and that is propitiation. Propitiation. Propitiation is the act, Webster says, the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Also uses the term appeasement. We might use the word appeasement in everyday language, but likely we never use the word propitiation, though. If, for instance, not that it would ever happen, but maybe you forgot your wife's birthday. You forgot your wife's birthday, 
You might try to appease her with a nice dinner out the next Friday night. You could call that dinner a propitiation. It might not work, but you might try a little propitiation dinner, an appeasement. Because of God's righteousness and justice, our sins cause him to be angry with us. In Psalm 7, verse 11, Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. God's justice demands that when people sin, that there's anger associated with that, that he's upset, that he's displeased with sin, and we sinned. And as a result, he was angry with us. And something had to be done to appease that anger or to be the propitiation for that anger. And Christ's sacrifice was just that. In Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation or an appeasement, now we understand, his forbearance, God, his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Christ's blood, Christ's sacrifice, was that propitiation, or that appeasement for the anger that God had towards sin. And this gift, again, displays God's amazing love for us, that he would send his son and allow his son to suffer that terrible death that we've remembered this morning so that his anger could be appeased. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says that this propitiation or this appeasement is available for all, even the most heinous of sinners. This propitiation is available in 1 John 2, verse 2. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. There's no one who's done anything so bad that he can't be forgiven. His sins can't be appeased by Christ's sacrifice. Christ is a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And again, it is God that we angered, but it is God who made this propitiation or this appeasement available. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if someone had done you wrong. And it angered you. And yet you offered your son. Or you offered something that was valuable to you. To make that right. That's love. That's what John's saying is here. Is God's amazing love. It's an amazing example of his love for us. Propitiation or appeasement represents our salvation. Another word that is used to describe our salvation is the word remission. Remission. Webster defines remission as the act or process of remitting. And that doesn't do me a whole lot of good. So now we have to look up the word remit. And the word remit is defined as to release from the guilty, the guilt or penalty of. Remission releases us from the guilt and the penalty 
of sin. Our sins are not without cost. The devil would like us to believe that you can sin without consequence. That you can do whatever you want and it won't matter. There will be no price to be paid. There will be no consequence. Sin is fine. Don't worry about it. And yet sin has cost. The Bible is very clear on that. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. When you sin, there is a price that must be paid. The wages of sin is death. Sin has to be paid for. And Christ's blood was paid for our sins so that we could be released from the penalty of sin. In Matthew 26, verse 28, notice we read this passage often on Sunday morning before we take the Lord's Supper. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, there's that word remission. We may just read it. And no, well, that's talking about our salvation, but what does it really mean? Remission means it releases us from the guilt or penalty of sin. Jesus says, this is my blood that is shed to release people from the guilt of their sin. To release people from the payment and cost of their sin. I am paying the price. The scriptures teach us that Christ's blood Paid the price for us. A price that we couldn't pay for ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We couldn't pay this price ourselves. Christ paid that price for us by shedding his blood. We have to access Christ's sacrifice, however, and we access that sacrifice by obedience. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we access that? How do we have that price paid? We have that price paid by submitting in obedience so that we can enjoy the remission or the release of the guilt of sin. There's another word that's used to describe our salvation, and that word is redemption. Redemption. Webster defines redemption as the act, process, or instance of redeeming. Well, again, we sort of have that word used in the definition of itself. So what does the word redeeming mean? Word redeeming means serving to offset or compensate for a defect. Offset or compensate for a defect. And we probably would use the word redeem or redeeming in everyday conversation. Maybe you might talk about a restaurant that you visited. And you might say, you know, that restaurant, the location is terrible. It's very hard to park there. And when you get into that restaurant... It's sort of run down, and it looks dirty. It's a little bit scary. It's sort of a dive. But I want to tell you, the food at that restaurant is its only redeeming quality. you got to have the pie that they have. It's incredible. You can overlook everything about that restaurant because the food is so good. It's the redeeming quality. It makes up or compensates for the defects. It's their redeeming quality. Let me tell you, our sins 
are a huge defect. Our sins are a huge defect on our life. We like to minimize sin, though, don't we? We like to talk about somebody, you know, he has his faults, but he's a pretty good guy. She, uh, she has a foul mouth. She does some really bad things, but she's not that bad. It doesn't work like that with sin. God doesn't minimize sin. If there's sin, you're wicked and you deserve death and destruction and punishment forever. That's how God views sin. He doesn't minimize it. He can't overlook it. We had a defect and something had to do be done to redeem us from that defect, to redeem us from our sins. Zacharias, after the birth of John the Baptist, prophesied this in Luke 1, verse 68. In Luke 1, verse 68, Zacharias promised, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has redeemed. What did he do? He served as the offset or compensation for a defect. The Israelites, people, Humans had a defect, and God had made that redemption possible. God provided the redemption, and the redemption wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't simple. No, it required the gift of his son. It required the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be redeemed from our sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, not with the blood of, of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the whole, most holy place once for all, Having obtained eternal redemption, our redemption makes up for the defect of our sin. Redemption. Another word that's used to describe our salvation is the word justification. Justification. Webster defines justification as the act, process, or state of being justified by God. Well, let's go a little deeper. Justify means to judge, regard, or treat as righteous. Treat something as righteous. To justify, judge, regard, or treat as righteous. This might be a word that you would use in everyday conversation. You might say something like this. I'm doing this and I'm justified in doing this because. In other words, you might say I'm doing this and it's the right thing to do because of these reasons. Maybe your child has misbehaved. And you ground them, and you say, you can't do this for a week. And I'm justified in grounding you because you did this, and you did this, and this. this is the right thing to do for these reasons. I'm justified. God justifies us. Even though we have committed sins, he justifies or declares us righteous. And he can't just do that willy-nilly. There has to be reasons why he would justify us, and he is justifying us because he paid the price of his son. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God declares us righteous because of Christ's sacrifice. It required sacrifice. God didn't minimize our sin, and I'm just going to overlook it. No, there had to be a sacrifice that was paid, and that sacrifice was Christ. In Titus chapter 3, beginning of verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're justified. We're declared righteous because of Christ's sacrifices. We were terrible sinners, yet by God's amazing grace, through the sacrifice of his son, he has declared us righteous. Another word that is used to describe our salvation is the word sanctification. Sanctification. Webster defines sanctification as a state of being sanctified. Webster defines sanctified as to be set apart for a sacred purpose or to religious use. To be free from sin. We were terrible sinners. Terrible sinners that were of no use to God. Terrible sinners that were worthy of death. But God has sanctified us or set us apart for a sacred purpose. He's declared us free from sin through his son in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Sanctifying, cleansing, describing the same thing here, aren't they? Declaring us free from sin, setting us apart for special service. We were terrible sinners, yet through Christ's sacrifice, we have been set apart. We had to do this to be set apart for this special purpose. We had to be free from sin. You remember in the Old Testament, they had things that they were using in service to God, things they used in the tabernacle and in the temple. Those things that were used, though, they had to be purified, didn't they? You couldn't just take any old dirty thing and use it in service to God. No, it had to be clean. It had to be set apart. It had to be special. And we are to be serving God of special purpose to God, but we can't just be any old dirty thing. No, we've got to be cleaned. We've got to be set apart for that. And we are set apart through Christ's blood. And this isn't, this isn't just a, well, have faith and everything will be okay and you'll be sanctified. No, we have to be obedient. Apart for a purpose, living in sin and be sanctified or free from sin and set apart for a purpose. No, you have to be obedient. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, uh, 4 First, oh, sorry, John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Thanksify them through your truth, thy word is truth. We have to read and study and obey the truth. That will help us to be set apart and free from sin. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that you, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, set apart, free from sin, set apart, for a special purpose. And then finally this morning. One more word that we want to look at. Associated with our salvation. Is the word atonement. Atonement. Webster defines atonement. With another big word. Reparation. For an offense or an injury. Reparation for an offense or an injury. Reparation is defined. As the act of making amends. 
offering expiation or giving satisfaction for a wrong or an injury, repaying for an injury or for a wrong. We probably wouldn't use atonement or reparation in everyday conversation, but we'd use those concepts, wouldn't we? If we had done something to harm someone else or their property, we would seek to atone for it. And we'd say something like this, how can I make it up to you? Listen, I'm sorry that my dog scratched your car. What can I do to make it up to you? I'm sorry that my kid threw the baseball through your window. What can we do to make it up for you? Been there before, maybe? Make it up to you. How do we atone for it? Here's an example of this. Atonement, not in reference to salvation, but in 2 Samuel chapter 21. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, the Israelites had made an agreement, you remember when they were coming into the promised land, with the Amorites, that they wouldn't kill them. But Saul had killed their descendants, and there was a problem about this. And David wants to make an atonement. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, beginning verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he's killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? You see, he goes to the Gibeonites. They had injured the Gibeonites. They had wronged them. And he says, I want to make atonement. I want to make up for it. I want, to, I want to make this right. How do I make it right? And they go and talk it out. David wanted to make it right. We have sinned against God. We have done God wrong. It needed to be made right. It needed to be atoned for. And Christ's sacrifice is just what made it right. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. Romans 5, beginning at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we say, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. It is Christ and his sacrifice and God's amazing love that was willing to sacrifice him that made it right. Atonement makes it right. And so we have reconciliation, propitiation, remission, redemption, justification, sanctification, atonement. And we could go on with that list, but I hope that understanding these words a little better help us to understand more about God's amazing love for us and the amazing sacrifice and the amazing salvation that we enjoy through Christ. And we've talked about the words and their definition. We've talked about them in theory this morning, but I want to tell you, we can't really understand and appreciate God's salvation until we experience God's salvation. We can read about it, but we can't really understand it until we experience it. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 tells us? 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Until you've experienced God's salvation, you really don't understand it thoroughly and fully. The question for you this morning is, have you experienced it? And if you haven't, why not? Why not experience it today? Or maybe you have experienced it, but you've wandered away. And you're back in that condition where that relationship is strained. Where that, that relationship needs to be mended. Can we help you mend it today? If there's anything we can do to help you, will you let us know while we stand and sing?